you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, good afternoon. <laughs> hey, Eric. Uh, the wonderful thing about podcasts is people think we're just starting, but little do they know, for 45 minutes, we've been trying just to get the tech working. Always fun to to do the work so that we can do the work, right? Well, with you and me, it's not about getting it working. It's about getting it better. Like, we can make it work, but we're we're not satisfied when it works okay or works kind of. We're, we're, we're both... Pretty perfectionistic in our uh, and have really high expectations of how tech and audio and theology should be done. So, <laughs> well put. Well, well, I want to first start by thanking you, Joel. Um, you know, Joel uh, uh, is the person that is really making this happen right now. He made our website and uploaded and edited uh, the first two episodes, which I listened to. Uh, but I was really happy. Uh, with what we have going on here, Joel. And I, I think not only because, um, well, let me say why. I, I think just selfishly because it's fun to talk to you. So even if we have, you know, my mom and occasionally my wife listening and, you know, some members of your family, uh, it's still uh, it's still worth doing for me. But also I, I think like we said in that first episode, I, I think that we have a perspective that um, if I if I could be indulged in this uh, uh, statement is worth hearing and worth sharing with, with others. Man, I hope so. We we're we're doing this because there's something about the way you and I talked offline with each other that excited both of us. And when you and I have co-led things together, other people have been grateful for the way that we engage one another and the way that we uniquely talk about it, but compliment one another. I think that's the goal. Last episode, um, we talked about Hanukkah, which is ending. Uh, tonight is the eighth night. It's really the eighth day. We call it the eighth night because the holiday starts in the evening. But in the evening time, we'll light the candle. And then it will end tomorrow evening um, when I'll have Shabbat services. But uh, as we were looking at the date today, it occurred to me that um, the next time we talk, uh, one week from today, will be Christmas Eve. And so... Uh, kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about Christmas. And, you know, I, I think most Americans know something about Christmas. But as we both know, sometimes a little knowledge is dangerous. And so um, perhaps you can uh, help all of us with maybe some misperceptions or, or focusing on what is important about Christmas. And so I'll, I'd love it if you would start there for us. For sure. Um Gosh, what in the world would you want to know about Christmas? I mean, I think I'd want to know a little bit more than the standard it celebrates Jesus's birth. Well, you know um, about the Santa Claus part, right? Um, and you got the tree that we cut down and bring inside and put lights all over. You get the presency thing and you get the credit card debt part of Christmas, right? You, you get all of that. 
And that's about what I know. And and as someone who played saxophone, I do know my good share of Christmas songs, mostly written by Jews, of course. But <laughs> Right. Or uh, Catholic priests who are so mad at their uh, church and religion that they were in total uh, rebellion in, in, through the Reformation and were trying to write new songs and new ways of resisting the church and rescuing Christ from the church itself. Uh, for me, Christmas has a lot to do with that still. Uh, how, to, how to rescue the story of a God who loves us enough to come among us in the flesh from a, a church or an institution that is forgetting um, more and more about that part of the story. Uh, it, I wonder, like we're doing a, a Lessons of Luke. There's one of the four Gospels. It's called the Gospel According to Luke. Who knows who wrote it, but we say it's according to Luke. Uh, and we're reading all of Luke chapter 1 before Jesus is born in chapter 2. Most of these stories of Luke chapter 1 are never read at Christmas time. And it's so confusing to me why if Luke or one of the authors of the Gospels thought this part about Zechariah, a priest at one of the temples, and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby in their old age. Why was that story not a critical part of our preparing for the birth of Jesus? Um, The angel visits Mary. We tell that part, but then the angel also comes back to Zechariah at the birth of their baby, John. And Zechariah sings this beautiful song. Uh, We don't ever tell that story at Christmas. What is it about the way Christians often do Christmas that doesn't even match the way Scripture does Christmas? I I don't get why we've allowed Christmas to wander so far into Target commercials (laughs) and Rudolph and away from a child that was born to an unwed teenage mother, was pursued by the political leaders, chased out of town, became an immigrant refugee, Um, A Palestinian Jewish child, a brown-skinned, brown-eyed, kinky-haired child that we now say, uh, those of us who are Christians now say, the way he does God, the way he talks about God and embodies God's will in the world, he is holiness and justice. Um, You know, and to hear a Christian go against Black Lives Matter— Well, Jesus was a black life. He was a dark-skinned child of God who understood God better than anybody else. Why why do we not accommodate him more in the Christmas story? The story of Christmas is about a child born as Lord of all, which challenges every other lordship, kingship, queenship, every other ruler. If if we don't see that the presence of God in our world is a very disturbing political reality to all the current political institutions and structures, we're not getting it. I mean, the birth of, of God's self or the arrival of a Messiah into this world is to undo the broken political systems that we've created and to renew and rebuild 
the way of doing community God intended. And for me, I don't know how to do Christmas without being political. I try really hard to do Christmas without being partisan. But sometimes if somebody is so deep in their partisan world and then they hear me talk about the political reality of Jesus's birth, they hear me as agreeing with their partisan politics or confronting their partisan politics, when really what I'm trying to do is reveal God's political upheaval. Uh, The word, like politics comes from that word polis, which really just meant city. So what does it look like when the city of God returns? What does it look like when the, the community of God is real? And in at the very, the last thing that is said in Luke anyway, before you turn the page and Jesus is born, is this uh, Jewish priest, Zechariah, who reaffirms that somehow God is making things so that we can worship God in everything we do and say and establish holiness and righteousness or justice and create the peace that God promised for all God's people. And Zechariah saw that happening in the birth of this child and the lineage of David, and it fulfills it promises to, to Abraham. But what, whether for, for me it was Jesus or whether for you it's, it's somebody else who's still to come, that we, you and I agree that we do want that community. <laughs> we do want that new political reality that is worshipful and holy and righteous and just and at peace. And we beg for that to come. Christmas is um, a laying down of everything in hopes that this child is really the way for those of us who call ourselves Christians. But I see too many people walk into sanctuaries and they're not willing to lay down their partisan loyalty. They're not willing to lay down um, the way they do wealth or income. They're not willing to lay down the way they currently do relationships to do them more like Jesus taught us. Um, and I, I wish the Christmas story was uh, not more confrontational, but more encouraging of us to really lay down everything and, and come to the manger and put our gifts there and go home empty-handed but changed, ready to see God's kingdom come. So I have a few questions on that. It's If I understand correctly, it's not about um, laying down and kind of accepting something else. It's about laying down so that you change your behaviors and actions in, in the world, right? Yeah, for or me is it's that not, right? I don't... Yeah, that's good. For me, it's not as much about laying down some self to pick up others. It's, it's a confession of all the things that we've picked up in, as substitutes or idols that get in our way of looking toward God, God's will, God's kingdom. We'll look towards a president, Right, and think of that as the thing that saves. We'll look towards a party or even a policy and think about that as the thing that saves. I, I can't find any human leader or any human institution that is perfectly holy or perfectly just. 
But what I want folks to do is lay down their blind loyalty to those things and hold them all accountable to the higher standard of God in the flesh who came among us as a humble child. And, and don't let anything else get our, our loyalty or our worship or our time and attention and resources more than God's kingdom. And hold every human leader and human institution and party accountable not to uh, what we want, but to what, what God wants somehow. <laughs> and how do we define that? I mean, that's, right, that's right. the impossible thing. But it, it's normally in a conversation. And if we're holding each other accountable to that higher standard, maybe we can get there um, with God's help. And in, um, you know, you, you, uh, you alluded to, you know, there might be a person in, in Judaism. I think this is one of the most interesting differences um, between our two faiths and that it, in Judaism, it's not about a person. It's not even about God as much. It's more about what our mitzvot, our system of laws, um, halachot, are the, the body of actions that we do. And halacha literally means the path which is this really beautiful idea that um, it's not like you do, you know, four of these laws and you're there, but we are constantly walking on the path. Um, and that path is is toward holiness. And so precepts in the Torah are, I think, what are meant to get us there, us as, as Jews. And so things like God creating each person in the divine image. Justice, justice, you shall pursue. God commanding Abraham to leave everything he knew behind to start a new life that that um, was scary and unknown, but he did it anyway because of faith and courage. And so um, it, it's not about a, a, the flesh. It, it's more about the, um, the text in some ways and what the holy text teaches us. Um, and I just think that's one of the beautiful differences um, between our two religions. So, so for the prophets who imagined a Messiah, an anointed one coming in the line of David who would rescue, do y'all see that as historical or metaphorical? <laughs> How does that overlap with... I'm laughing because I, it, it depends who you define as y'all. So... It, Traditional Judaism 100% has the belief and idea of a Messiah. It, it is a very foundational um, part of Judaism. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the 13 um, principles of faith that Maimonides said was that there will be a Messiah. Um, and although he tarries, I will wait, which is this beautiful kind of idea. Um, I would add on and I will work hard to make to make him uh, come about also. But um, in in more liberal circles of Judaism, like like where I belong, we don't talk as much about an actual Messiah descended from King David who one day is going to appear. Um, we talk more about, you know, uh, bringing about a messianic age. That is in our doing, not necessarily God's doing. Um, as a counterpoint to that, um, there are Jews um, who, so I, I mentioned the word mitzvot, Jewish laws, that they're, they're, they try to get Jews to do mitzvot because there's this idea that if 
that, that there's a number that only God knows, um, a really high number, most likely. But when the number of meats vote reaches that number, the Messiah will come. Or, you know, I once heard that if every Jewish person really celebrated Shabbat the way it's meant to be celebrated, the Messiah will come. And so, you know, we've come up with all of these things that I think are meant as motivators for us to do certain things. But um, I think I think that's how it corresponds uh, to what you were saying before. I did have a question. Um, you, you started talking about um, Luke and stories that, you know, you don't typically tell on Christmas. And I think all clergy deals with this struggle sometimes just from a very functional level of, okay, it's, it's the service. I'm preparing for the service in two weeks, uh, a month. What do I include? What don't I include? How long is the service going to be? And so when you say that story is not included, is it just a practical, well, it's not one of the most important things and the service is only going to be an hour? Or are there more reasons that more people don't know that story? There are probably three three realities that have forced Christianity into a, a smaller and smaller corner of the greater story. One is what's called the lectionary, where awesome scholars thought, okay, we're having a problem teaching our people the scriptures. What about if we get them on a three-year rotating cycle and we give them the key points, right? By the way, a lot exact of, same it, for the Torah. There's a, there's a three-year cycle that people, yep. Perfect. And a lot of preachers and uh, liturgist crafters, liturgy crafters, they will use that three-year rotating cycle. It, it leaves out a lot of stuff, a lot of important stuff. It hits the high points, but it does leave out some critical things. Uh, another part that resists is the, the commercialization of Christmas, where uh, certain hymns uh, become ad, right? We, we, they become ads. We hear them on Target. We hear them at Best Buy. We hear them everywhere. And, and people want to hear those in church. They want to hear those songs, the because the that's what that, they know. Yeah, or, and it meant the most to them when they were kids and they were sung to them or whatever. So they, they want to hear that. And then there's a pressure from our own people to hear the Christmassy songs. And a lot of preachers will resist Christmas until Christmas. During the season of Advent, it's it, even in some Christian practices, it's kind of um, a Christian to, to do Christmas songs because the baby's not born yet. We shouldn't... You can't do the first Noel where Jesus is born until at Christmas or after. But by the time Christmas gets here, people are ready to tear their tree down and move on with life. So uh, there's a tension to satisfy your people to do certain Christmas songs or Christmas readings. Um, and for me, there was this, this heretic, uh, if you go way back, who tried to take the four Gospels um, trim them all together, make one perfect gospel that lined up everything the way he thought it or should all be lined up. And the church judged him to be a heretic and threw him out. Um, you, you just can't do that. But then the way we do a, a Christmas Eve story, we take this little bit of Matthew about the show, about and then this little bit of Luke, and we we squish them all together, and and we tell the story in this folded together way that no gospel author ever told it. Um, so. I have to do something that really does teach the Christmas story to somebody who doesn't know it. I've got to write something that does honor the hunger for my current people to hear the old, old story again. But then I have to do this third thing. I have to crack it open and reveal 
the old, old story in this new way that does create enough discomfort and challenge and wonder so that people go home from Christmas and, and don't want to just exhale a sigh of relief that, yay, it was another Christmas like all the others. It's the first new Christmas of the new coming kingdom that, boy, we've been waiting for. Um, and part of that is the story of John the Baptist, which a lot of people, they, they got a glance across. But the, the end of Luke 1, where Zechariah and Elizabeth have this child in their old age, does that sound familiar, Rabbi? Um, after being promised one for their whole life, and now they're really old, and they're never going to have a baby, but they have oh, one. I, I, you're talking about Abraham. I thought you were talking about me yeah, because, no. I, <laughs> because I'm 46 years old. And, <laughs> well, I am. I'm talking about Abraham and you. <laughs> Welcome oh, to the world, funny. baby Aaron. Right. I really oh. thought you were actually making fun of me for a second, and then I was like, oh no, he's, he's talking about Abraham. Now you know it's you're a religious a podcast. What? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, good stuff, Joel. But yeah, well, go on. <laughs> but John the Baptist, the, what the priest, the rabbi Zechariah says about his own child is, you're not the Messiah, but you come to prepare the path for the Messiah, right? And so you were talking about the path that we walk and the accomplishment of these things. When he's imagining the pathway that has to be cleared, it is where we worship God correctly and properly. We build holiness. We build righteousness. We create peace in our community. And that's what Zechariah dreams is true in his own son. Um, and it's, you know, as a father of three sons myself, boy, what what would make me more proud as a father in general, not a Christian father or even a pastor, but to know that my children are growing up in ways that build holiness, that build justice, and that create peace in the world no matter what their religion is, God, if they are doing those things, I know that they are on board. Absolutely. I, I took note of a phrase you used that I think it was the tension of pleasing our people. Is that what you said? Yeah. Something like that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> clergy are all, all have this interesting tension. And I think we need the tension. It, it's not bad of, and, and of course, this is not related to Christmas Hanukkah, but of giving the people, quote unquote, what they want and also providing what we think, which, again, is somewhat egotistical. I mean, we are the deciders of that as the people they hired and trusted to, to lead the, the congregation, but to give them what we think they need. And sometimes those are not in, in perfect alignment. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the reasons I'm a Presbyterian pastor. There are some denominations where the congregation can fire their, their clergy leader on a, any given uh, Sunday right after worship or something. Um, in the Presbyterian Church, they can't do that. Like, we're employees of the Presbytery, really. And and we're in that position so that we can tell the congregation the truth, even the truth they don't want to hear, the uncomfortable truth. Uh, and it, our goal is not to grow a church. It's to point to the coming kingdom. Uh, and in doing so, you'll sometimes rattle some folk um, I've heard it comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yeah, I was going to use that earlier. Yeah. Right. I've heard it. There's you, There's got to be enough uh, comfort and enough challenge. But the word for me is encouragement. Um, it's just one word. 
encouragement has built into it the sense of there's a hug to it, right? There's a reassurance to it. But there's also putting courage into them to go do the next hard thing. And in that one word, it, it captures both perspectives. So I I think of the, the preaching, prophetic, pastoral job as encouragement. Um, where necessary, give them a hug, rub them on the back, tell them it's okay. And at the same time, implant some courage into them to go make the world a bit, bigger, better, be, more beautiful place. Absolutely. I might use that, Joel, with, with your permission, of course. That That's beautiful. Well, I hear it's on a podcast now, so everybody <laughs> can have access to it. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that podcast for, for a few minutes because, you know, we're, we're just getting started and kind of figuring out our system. But, um, uh, you know, our first two episodes uh, were fairly short, uh, partially, I think, because we wanted to put something out there after talking about this for quite some time and and just kind of seeing seeing how it goes. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the things and this is for our listeners, um, what we, we have a, a Google Doc filled with all sorts of topics. And so I think, you know, w- once we get into a pattern, which I think will will happen relatively soon, um, you know, each episode will be a topic, something like, you know, life after death, is there really a Messiah? Um, You know, practical issues of being clergy. I I get that. That's a question I get all the time. People want to know, like, what's it like being a rabbi? Um, And so talking about those sorts of things from our various traditions and actually really honing in on either a theological concept or a book in the Bible or a holiday like we did today. Um, and we, we also want to have some uh, regular uh, sections, so whether it's talking about our weeks or something we read or a movie we watched or some, you know, something that made us think something interesting with regard to religion. Um, Joe, what, what do you think of, of all that in, in terms of telling our listeners what to expect? I think that's it. They'll see. Uh, they'll get to know you. They'll get to know me a little bit better uh, and get to see us. I want to know how in the world you went from you know a kid who's just enjoying life and became a rabbi. At some point, we we may be able to tell what some Christians call a call story. It always feels like a weird thing. But how in the world did a a guy who was a mechanical engineer who went through sales and marketing drop all that and go back to seminary and now become a pastor? Um, I have a feeling we'll hit some. We'll hit some political realities or some social cultural issues that are going on and and try to look at those honestly through a, a faith or a scripture or a religious lens and give give some perspective on how people inside or beyond religion can navigate or survive those weird cultural issues with integrity. Um we might do a, a section where people just send us questions. Hey, what does Christianity or Judaism say about X about such and such, right? A, a listener question. Um, or scripture myths and truths. Um, address some oh, things like that, that people think scripture says, but it it doesn't really. And some people that, some things that people might be shocked that scripture actually does say. Um, and one thing that I'm interested in doing, if, if you'll allow it, is uh, trying to occasionally put up something that that I've heard a religious leader say publicly that's out there in the public and getting some news coverage and you and me unpack that. Um, Where did they go too far? Where are they not going far enough? Where are they speaking with integrity from their religious perspective, but not necessarily expressing 
the wider religious hope that you and I are trying to cling to together. Uh, all of oh, that could be great. beautiful topics. And so uh, where can they find us, Joel? We've got a, a Gmail that's out there for the two of us, religionpodcast at gmail.com. And we started a, a Twitter as well, which you can you can find. We'll be using those three spaces for now just to get things off the ground. And as we get better and better at all of this, we'll probably be branching out into more social media spaces. And again, I, I want to thank you, Joel, for really pushing uh, the that those things to actually happen, namely the Twitter and the website that uh, we wouldn't be talking right now if you, if you didn't do all that with our beautiful art and, and all it, which really enables uh, us to talk and hopefully some listeners to hear us as well. So again, thank you. You bet. It's fun to, it's fun to make it happen. Uh, the Twitter is religion pod, <laughs> by the way, if you're looking for that. And when, when Eric, when Rabbi Eric's talking about our website, uh, we're using Podbean as our podcast host. So it creates a website looking space where each of these episodes will be. But then we're, of course, uh, pushing those out, not just through the Podbean site, but also through Apple and Spotify. Well, until next week, uh, keep it real, everyone. (laughs) Lovely. Peace (laughs) out, brother. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.